I am Warden Wilson Mutua, and I am happy to welcome you to Harambe Wildlife Reserve. Namaste. Welcome back aboard Wildlife Express. I hope you enjoyed your visit to Conservation Station. We read you loud and clear. Please proceed with broadcast. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number 60 for the week of March 30th, 2008. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this week I am coming to you live from Walt Disney World as I'm standing on the promenade of World Showcase in Epcot, enjoying the sights, sounds, and scents of the 15th annual Epcot Flower and Garden Festival. Thanks to the assistance of the Walt Disney World Company and so many wonderful cast members, I have a special show for you this week as I not only have a review of the festival from right here in the park, but an exclusive interview with someone whose job it is to really make dreams come true, as she is Carrie Schoen, manager of the Disney Dream Squad, and she'll reveal for us what it's like to truly make magic, a day in the life of a Dream Squad cast member, what's in store for 2008, and more. As we get ready for Disney's Animal Kingdom's 10th anniversary next month, I also want to take you along with me on a ride on the Kilimanjaro Safari, unlike any that you've taken in the past, as John Lenhart, director of animal operations for Disney's Animal Kingdom, gives us a fascinating tour of the safari that you can't get anywhere else. Ride along with us on this personal tour that's a fun, informative adventure. There's much more on this week's show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. single day we are privileged to have a small part in making a dream come true. My daily job is uh, making sure that those children who come through the front gate get their dreams and their wishes fulfilled. I open the park in the morning everybody comes down to ride uh, California Screaming. The Alice ride, the teacup ride, uh, Mr. Toad, Peter Pan and the carousel. I like to dream. To fly. can't fly. I'm in the parade department. It's great. I'm a toy. Yeah, it's a wind-up toy. We get to, you know, perform for the guests. Hi, Tinkerbell! When I was a child, I wanted to dance at Disneyland. You can tell on their face how much they're enjoying it. Now I'm here. I get to perform with Sully and Mike every single day. I don't think there's a better job in the world. I get to interact with all kinds of people. Dreams are important in life because when you dream of something, you can actually make that dream come to real life. Everybody has dreams. There's dreams that you get when you sleep. There's dreams that you get when you're walking. Uh, there's dreams that you get when you're daydreaming. 
a cowboy. Being a cowboy was the greatest thing. I'm Scoop Sanderson. I'm the Main Street Gazette reporter. I sure do like watching uh, people eat ice cream for breakfast. I would love the idea of going into space. Fun. I actually did want to be an astronaut. I've said it time and time again that what makes Walt Disney World a truly magical place is not the attractions or the shows, but it's the cast. And the role that the cast has played in making magic has grown exponentially over the past year and a half, thanks to the year of a million dreams and the creation of the Dream Squad. And what the cast has been able to do and what has been empowered to do is make magic for guests each and every day. I've had a chance to sit down and meet and chat with Carrie Schoen, who's the area manager for the Dream Squad at Walt Disney World. She's going to tell us about what she does, the Year of a Million Dreams, and explain for everyone what's taking place not just at all the Disney parks, but of course, right here at Walt Disney World. Well, the Year of a Million Dreams has had a tremendous impact, like you've said, over the Walt Disney World Resort, as well as the Disneyland Resort out in California. And the Dream Squad plays a key role in making that dream come true for our guests. Uh, we're responsible for delivering approximately a million prizes this year um, in part, as part of the Disney Dreams giveaway. What that consists of is anything from a Dream Fast Pass, which will give the guests the entitlement to ride each Fast Pass attraction in that park one time without any wait, or very cool Dream Ears, which I'll get to show you, um, Nights in Cinderella's Castle Suite, which is truly an unbelievable, remarkable experience, um, or trips around the world where the guests will have the opportunity to be the Grand Marshal in each of the Disney parades all around the world, including Hong Kong, Tokyo, and Paris. So every single day, that's what we do. We award prizes and talk to the guests and create magical moments. And once again, when I talk about people having the best job in Walt Disney World, I will change my mind once again because <laughs> it's my prerogative and say that you and the Dream Squad really have the best job because if I had to describe what you do and what your role is, it really is just making guests happy, which is an extension of what every cast member's role is. Exactly. It's taking that to the next level. So when we're not awarding prizes, we are out there in the parks really trying to seek out those unique opportunities to make the guests stay, whether it's creating a magical moment for them by choosing someone to participate in a show or um, in a really cool backstage attraction tour, or whether it's getting our guests out, you know, a, a fast pass for an attraction or simply helping them with dining. We just take it to the next level. And that's what I like about the Year of a Million Dreams, because it's not necessarily about a specific material prize that you might win, although I will say it again that a night in Cinderella Castle is my dream <laughs> prize. But those little magical moments, things that aren't necessarily recorded on paper, um, that people might say, well, you know, I, I come to the park and I didn't win anything, or I see someone. But you are, because it's the experience is so much more enhanced. Um, and I hope that it's going to continue even beyond the promotion, which I, I assume it will. Yes, magical moments will continue to be the foremost on our cast members' minds. It's embedded into our culture and our heritage. Um, it's handed down to us from Walt and his legacy. Um, so it is something that will continue throughout the years and remain the culture of our company. So tell us about what maybe a, a typical day is like for a, a Dream Squad member going through the parks. Oh, a typical day is... Similar to the Amazing Race. <laughs> That's probably the best way to explain it. Um, the cast members never know where they're going to go or what they're going to do in that day. It truly is um, a very rapid, last-minute um, 
catch up depending on prize deliveries and what we have going on. Um, so they start their day in the morning by checking in, and then they will um, assess the amount of prizes that they have to deliver that day in their in their park. Um, and that could range anywhere. Um, we distribute 1,700 to 3,200 prizes a day across Walt Disney World property. So a potential park could see thousands of items in their park alone. Um, they are um, not told where they're going until just a few minutes before they're going to award that prize and what prize they're even going to win. So for example, the random report is truly, um, that what is, it, is what it is, it's truly random, and it might even call out um, Big Thunder Mountain, um, the guests exiting at 10.55 will all receive Dream Fast Passes, uh, and we're going to give out 15 of those. Um, and that truly is the randomness of their job. So each day, each prize is different. There, there really is no rhyme or reason. <laughs> it is truly random. And we um, outsource for a leader in the sweepstakes industry to help us with that randomization of reports. And that goes to my next question, which is there are no secrets to winning. There is not, you know, a place to be at a speed of surf- specific time. Uh, you know, don't go drinking at the water fountain every 15 minutes thinking that's going to be wearing the shirts that say, please pick me to win right in the castle. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody sort of has an equal opportunity. Right. Um, the Disney Dreams Giveaway is completely unbiased, and it truly is the luck of the draw. You really just have to be in what we call the dream place at the dream time, and that could be coming off an attraction, riding an attraction, entering an attraction, entering a merchandise shop, food and beverage location, a bench, a water fountain, street. It, it really <laughs> There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of combinations um, that the computer randomizer utilizes to pick that discrete spot. Um, so it is very random and luck of the draw. And you don't even need to be in one of the four theme parks, correct? Nope. Um, well, the giveaway is also eligible to the two water parks here at Walt Disney World as well as Downtown Disney. And then out in Disneyland, it's each of their theme parks and the Downtown Disney um, uh, pavilion. In addition to that, you can also enter to win the Disney Dreams giveaway via mail by sending um, a postcard to the site that's listed on Disney.com under the Disney Dreams giveaway. Now you, in addition to just being the area manager, you have been a Dream Squad member yourself. You still kind of get to go out and, and make that magic every day. I do. I, um, I actually have, probably have the best luck of the draw because I can pick and choose which prizes I want to go see. Um, so yes, I have the opportunity of you know just getting out of getting out of the office for a little while and going to hand out a Dream Fast Pass and having that twelve year old look up at you and say, "Dude, I love you. You made my day." Or having that opportunity. Um, a few weeks ago, we were able to award a fabulous family from the Atlanta area. Um, in a Disney Vacation Club experience. So they have 48 years of Vacation Club membership now. Um, so their vacations are set, and they're you know very young family, two, chill, two boys, and they're going to really enjoy it. So it's great. And, and that might answer my next question, which was, I was going to say, which, you know, in, in all the, in the year and a half that you've been doing it, what do you think is that most magical moment or that, that experience that's going to kind of stick with you personally? Oh, there is so many. Um, probably one of my favorite stories, though, is there was a, a, a young girl by the name of Annie that was able to win an Adventures by Disney trip um, over to Europe. And she was actually on property with her grandparents from um, a Florida market, little North Florida. And um, her parents were both at work. So she was so very excited. What we got to do was call her mom, who was a teacher, in the classroom and tell her over the phone what had just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that was unbelievably one of the best days of my life. Then, of course, you come into other lucks. Um, 
And an, a, another great story is we had a group of ladies that were down here on a girls' day, and they had um, traveled down from Lady Lakes, which is a little north of the, um, the Walt Disney World Resort. And um, they had just been severely hit by some tornadoes that had gone through that area. So one of the ladies in the group happened to work for the town and um, was dealing with a lot of the tornado victims and ha- you know had, had some damage herself, and her family had some, um, had some damage as well. She had a rough few weeks. So while she was down here, her and her girlfriends actually um, won the castle suite for the night. Um, so they made it an overnight trip, and it just, you know, it goes to those people that it, it's just, it is the luck of the draw, but everyone has a story behind it, and it, it really finds its way to the people that need it the most, is what I find. Now, I'm not saying this in hopes of actually winning anything, but I've, I've never actually won anything in the parks, but what I enjoy is when I see somebody else win something and see their reaction. And there's times that I've gotten choked up when I see the mother start to cry and the father start to wipe. And the, the reaction, like you said, on the children's faces sometimes is just it is almost as good as, as actually winning the prize itself. Um, the, I mean, the reactions, I can't tell you. I, I've lost the amount of hugs I've received from guests. I you know, used to try to keep count. Um, the amounts of times I've cried, I, I, I can't tell you. It's... There's, there's just no number on it. Um, yeah, I've seen everything from people almost pass out to collapse to the ground to sc- screaming and yelling and hooting and hollering. And I had a lady do a cha-cha on the Pirates of the Unload Dock. Um, she, I mean, we, I, I've, we've seen it all. I, you think you've seen it all. I just can't wait to see what we have in the last eight months of this promotion because it each each response is completely different and it doesn't matter what they're receiving mm. um it like i mentioned earlier the response from receiving a dream ear hat um to cinderella's castle suite is this you know everyone has a remarkable expression it's, it's cool it's very cool and that's the thing about a year of a million dreams you know you come to walt disney world and you you are going to have a, an incredible magical experience now there's this extra potential opportunity to even have that plus so much more and that's why like you said it doesn't matter what else you get because it's it's a gift it's a bonus on top of something and to be able to go home and say i couldn't believe i was coming off peter pan and there was this you know woman in the white vest and she gave me x and whether it's a pair of mickey ears or you know a free cotton candy for your kid mm-hmm. um it's an it's an amazing experience not just for the guests but i can imagine for the dream squad member as well Yes, it is. Um, when, be, like I mentioned, it is a temporary assignment. So, um, our Dream Squad cast members that are out in the parks usually are only in the role from for about three to six months, maybe eight. Um, and they know we know it going into it, but it is very hard because there is an end time because we want to try to get as many cast members to experience this fabulous um, Dream Squad opportunity. Um, and it, it is heartbreaking. Um, I'm very concerned myself what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, I don't tell many people that, but I am very concerned uh, when the Disney Dreams giveaway is complete. Um, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be heartbreaking because um, it is an amazing experience. And how do you actually, like I said, this must be a very coveted role being able to do, you know, to, you know your job is to go out and make magic every day. Um, what's the selection process like? How do you go about choosing the cast members that will be members of the Dream Squad? Um, it is an extremely competitive process that I, I would like to add first. Um, we send out a internal global posting um, that is managed by our casting center, and there's um, pretty strict guidelines that they have to follow. Um, the cast members have to um, be exemplary in their operating area. They have to have a passion for magical moments and creating that special touch for those for our guests, um, and regardless of the capacity that they may be in. Um, our cast members come from a very diverse background, everything from 
housekeeping to park operations to we have cast members that drive here from DRC out in Tampa to be on the Dream Squad. Um, and once they continue on through the process for the posting, there's several interviews that they have to attend as well as they have to have leadership support. Um, we narrow that down, which is very hard. We've received thousands and thousands of applications. And then we um, work through a pool that we try to give all the cast members the opportunity. Can I ask you where you got started in your role in the cast? Um, yes. I, well, I was the first person that was brought on to Project Manage, the Year of a Million Dreams um, project from the operations perspective. Um, and I was hand-selected, and I thank the stars above that I was for this awesome opportunity. Um, prior to this, I never had sweepstakes experience. Um, I actually came from training and development, so I created the training programs onboarding new cast members. Oh, like you said, a very diverse background of people yeah. that, that do it. Um, and I know you're fearful of what happens as, after December 31st, but let's talk about 2008, because I thought 2007, when this was announced, I was blown away by not just the prizes, but just this in concept. And when I heard that it was, you know, the Year of a Million Dreams kind of plus one for 2008, I was even more so because it's a whole new level that you're taking it to as far as prizes and as far as the experiences for guests. Tell us a little about what's been taking place and what we can look forward to in the rest of 2008. Sure. Um, the, this year, our prizes are bigger and better. They're the Disney Dreams Giveaway Plus, like like you said. Um, we have added very, very, very unique Money Can't Buy elements to a lot of our prizes. So, for example, not only are you going to get a trip to go to the Disneyland Resort, but now it may be partnered with um, the opportunity to go see High School Musical 3, the premiere in the summer. Teenage um, girls are screaming right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, we might award a trip to Walt Disney World that also has... I can't wait to see this happen, a tethered hot air balloon flight um, over Epcot in the Spaceship Earth balloon as well as part of their experience. Um, <laughs> the guy that's interviewing you is, is jumping up and down in his seat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we have um, several Disney uh, Cruise Line uh, packages that we're also giving away. And, uh, for example, one might be to the Mexican Riviera that will be partnered with a overnight stay at the Disneyland Resort and you'll get to stay in the Pirate Suite, which is very exclusive to the Disneyland Resort. Um, so taking it to that next level and just blowing it out of the park. Um, each and every day, we also give out several prizes locally here at Walt Disney World that happen that day. So uh, we have maintained the castle, and that prize has stayed pretty much the same. But we've introduced several other Money Camp by um, event packages, as we like to call them. Um, for example, you might be... you know greeted in the morning by Dream Squad and told that you have just won that day lunch with a view in the Magic Kingdom. So you're going to sit in the Rose Garden and have Cinderella's Castle in the background while you eat a catered lunch done prepared by our Disney chefs. Um, you might also have the opportunity uh, while over at Animal Kingdom to get a very exclusive backstage safari in this really cool open-air vehicle um, with a animal keeper that works out there every single day. And then that's all, also partnered with a dinner experience over at Tusker House. So taking those things that we do each and every day and plussing them up and giving our you know bigger and better dreams. That's amazing. And I think so many of us don't even realize the potential prizes that are out there because we think either oh we see people with ears or the fast passes and we think maybe the next level is just the castle or the dvc and there's so much in between that goes on and you talk about these money can't buy experiences and that's what it is and, the, and things that will create obviously lifelong memories for for guests 
Yes, they will. They will walk away, and they will never forget the experience that they just went through here at the Walt Disney Resort or out in Disneyland. It is. There's sometimes you can't put words around it. It, it is that amazing. And, and that's exactly what I was going to next. It's one of these things that you just you can't necessarily quantify the experience, probably from a guest perspective, and certainly not from a, a, a cast member perspective. Um, and you know, we talk about money can't buy experiences. Um, Money doesn't have to buy too, because even if you can't get out to Walt Disney World, like I said, you still can enter mm-hmm. by mail and online. And, and I think wasn't a, a, a big prize just awarded to somebody who registered yes, via I, postcard. Actually, there was a prize for the 2007 Disney Dreams giveaway um, that was awarded via mail, and that was for the Disney Vacation Club. So they won it just by entering and sending a postcard in. Um, and that information is located on DisneyParks.com, so you can see it there. Excellent. I'll put a link um, to all the information in the show notes for this week. Um, but beyond 2008, and I know we're only not even in April yet, but we're thinking ahead and not only your job security, but what us for guests. Um, we touched on it briefly before. I think what I enjoy so much is the empowerment of the cast members. Um, and you can see almost a marked difference in them um, because they know they can do so many things, even if it's just not on their list, whether it's giving a kid a cookie, whether it's just a balloon, a smile, something else. Um, I, I assume we're going to see that, obviously, 2008 and beyond. Yeah, the legendary guest service that Disney is known for, of course, will continue to evolve and grow into 2009 and and beyond that. So that is something that uh, we that will stay the culture of our company. Um, we will continue to provide that legendary service to each and every one of our guests. Magical Moments will be continue to um, be the culture of our company um, and other than that, I'm sure there'll be something else cool that comes along, but I don't know at this time what that is. I wasn't going to ask you what's next, but I was kind of asking you what was next. Yeah. Guest service, that's what's next, yeah. <laughs> always. <laughs> so I, I promise to stop following the Dream Squad cast members around now that I know that it's completely random. Carrie, what about after the dreams have been given out? I mean, I, like you said, we talk about guests just probably you know, losing their minds in the parks and they realize and dancing or singing, whatever it might be. Uh, what about after they've, they've been given the prize? You ever hear back from anybody and maybe sort of, you know, kind of get that bonus reward for, on your end? Um, actually, yes, Lou. I have uh, made several lifelong friends, I believe, from the promotion. Um, the amount of mail I receive um, here at Walt Disney World is uh, pretty high. <laughs> um, we receive letters from guests from everything from the Dream Ears, like I mentioned, to the Castle Suite, to trips. And they get home and then it sinks in what just happened. Um, and they, they send them the, the cutest most memorable letters uh, or items as well. For example, we had a family um, from Montana that makes coffee. And what they did is they created, for all of the cast members involved in their awarding, an exclusive blend, which they call the Castle Winners um, Blend. And it's just extremely nice and thoughtful because we really, you know, made that impact on their lives. So regardless if it's a postcard or even just a picture or a quick email that says, thank you so much for all of you done, um, those come in each and every day. I can look forward to something like that. It's great. Yeah, and talk about making your job even more rewarding when they take the time to let you know. You're showing me the uh, the, the the Glacier Coffee Roasters Castle Winter Blend with the family on there, so that must just be something that um, you know you'll be able to, to take with you for a long time. Yeah, the the, the amount of collateral alone just from the winner's file um they've nicknamed it here the feel good file um so people when they actually have 
you know, you know, maybe they are searching for a little bit of pixie dust. They'll come to me and say, hey, you have any new pixie dust you can share for me? And I sit them down with a big file and like, enjoy, just enjoy, because it's, it's a beautiful scrapbook that we have of, of the past few months. Well, I can say on behalf of, of every guest that comes here, thanks to you and everybody in the Dream Squad and really all of the 62,000 cast members for what you do because that's why we come back and that's why we come here. And this just takes it up to a whole nother level um, that's not only special for us but obviously special for you as well. And it's nice to hear that it means so much to you. This isn't a job. This is just really about making people happy and you really take it home and, and take it personally. Well, thank you. It is um, it is not just a job. I thank everyone that has uh, made this possible um every day as i drive into work i think wow i am the luckiest girl in the world to go and work at such a magical place and then when you drive home you're like wow i just did that today (laughs) (laughs) um it is amazing and regardless you know what role you have here at the parks um, i feel all of our cast members have that same passion and commitment Um, it all takes teamwork to make the dream work Um, so we we really pride ourselves in that, and, and, and we continue to drive that legacy that Walt established for us. Well, like, and you're doing an exceptional job, and I know that we're all looking forward to what's to come in 2008 and beyond. So, Carrie Schoen, uh, area manager for Disney's Dream Squad, thank you so much not only for taking your time today, but for everything that you guys do each and every day. And thank you very much for having me. I've seen people just cry because they feel like they're at home. I see... Many dreams come in the park every morning, and many dreams leaving every afternoon. Dreams are good, yeah. Just seeing all the families together, it's it's amazing. I love walking in Walt's footsteps. Lots of dreams come true here. Every child that walks into the gate, yeah, I see them all. To a little child, to see that. Every day I have an opportunity, every day's different. Bring magic to life, so to speak. That's what I do. And I can't ask for anything better than to feel that within my heart. I'll tell my friends about what I dreamed of. It's beautiful to see. Dreams, dreams, dreams. With April 22nd marking the 10th anniversary of the opening of Disney's Animal Kingdom, over the next few weeks, I'm going to celebrate this occasion on the show with a variety of segments, highlighting not just the theme park, but more importantly, the message and meaning behind what you see and often what you do not see. Thanks to the help of the Walt Disney World Company and so many special cast members, I'll be bringing you exclusive interviews with a number of cast members who work backstage to keep what you see on stage truly magical, as well as live audio and other segments that I believe will both educate and entertain you as well. This week, join me on a journey aboard the Kilimanjaro Safari, as John Lenhart, who's the Director of Animal Operations for Disney's Animal Programs at the Walt Disney World Resort, gives us a very unique look at not just the safari itself, but the animals that roam the savanna and the work that goes on backstage to bring this amazing experience to life. As the Animal Operations Director, John oversees Disney's Animal Husbandry Department, which is comprised of more than 260 animal care professionals, including animal keepers, zoological managers, and curators. 
His team is responsible for determining the animal collection composition and for more than 1,600 animals and 300 species at Disney's Animal Kingdom and Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge. So close your eyes and climb aboard with me as John paints a virtual picture for you of the beauty, majesty, and awe-inspiring work that goes on to bring Africa to Disney's Animal Kingdom. Enjoy. Okay, welcome to Kilimanjaro Safari. How many of you have been on this before? Vast majority, okay. So we'll give you a little bit of the backstage piece. We've got about 30 minutes, which is maybe eight to 10 minutes longer than the normal ride, and we're not gonna have the normal storyline that goes with it. But I'll tell you a little bit about uh, our management uh, aspects of our safari. And we're gonna pull off at a couple of places just for a few extra minutes so you can sit and watch and maybe take a, a few photos. We'll stop out in the major area of the West Savannah, um, see what we can see there, and we'll take a little brief moment to stop in front of elephants, just to appease me, because that's more important than anything else. <laughs> um, a lot of people don't realize that uh, there's a very structured management program to our savannas out here. Um, many people think the animals roam free there 24 hours a day, that their life is, is uh, unencumbered by our management, but that's not true. The animals are out throughout the vast majority of sunlight hours, but at the end of the day, we call all of our animals back in to their night house, or virtually all of the animals. The flamingos actually stay out all the time. But almost all of the other animals come back into a night holding area. There are nine different sites around the savannas where the animals leave to come into the night, night holding area. And we do that for a number of reasons. One, you saw the elephants being bathed this morning. So it's about getting close up to the animals on a daily basis to make sure everything's all right. The second is we want to be able to make sure that their diet is supplemented in the appropriate way. When they're out on the savanna, it's like your kids in a candy store. They're eating whatever they want. When we get them back inside, we feed them very specific, uh, balanced, nutritionally appropriate food, and that keeps them healthy and well managed. The third piece is what people don't realize is we actually have a lot of maintenance to do in our savanna areas. And we bring the animals off so we can safely go out there and do the work we need to do. One of the things is planting. Uh, it looks beautiful out there, but it takes about 1,000 plants replanted every night on average to maintain the, the uh, appearance of the savanna. The reason is everything that we plant out there is what's for lunch for most of the species that are there. So they literally go and go, oh boy, food, let's go. My first day uh, that we let the elephants out into their habitat, I was standing with the curator of horticulture and all of the, the landscape team, and the elephants came out and it was just densely had been growing for two and a half years. And they're going, can't see the elephants, can't see the elephants. And there's very tall plants called Arundo Donans, which is a, a very tall uh, grass, about 12 feet tall. All of a sudden we saw the head of this grass shake and boom, disappear. And another one shake and boom, disappear. And the curator of horticulture turned to me and said, oh my God, they're eating the plants. Can't you stop them? You know, it's, you know, when you're a horticulturist, it's about the beauty and these plants are your babies. And when you're, you know, an animal person, it's all about them you know, this is what's for lunch. So it's an interesting uh, challenge. So we have to replant. Now over here, we've just entered the Aturi Forest. And this, uh, over on the side, are two of our really special uh, animals here. These are our okapi. Okapi are a relative of the giraffe, even though they look like a, a zebra. On our right side, we actually see our bongo. Both of these are deep forest animals that would occur in the Aturi Forest area uh, of Africa. 
The okapi is a special animal because it's one of the most recent large mammals discovered uh, in the uh, 20th century. It was actually discovered in the 20th century. Very rare, um, and we've been very successful. I think we've had four successful births at Animal Kingdom um, since we opened up. So we're really excited about this species and, and what we've been able to do with this area. Now this area, once again, is much more forested, and it's to represent the forested areas uh, in Africa, and along with them you'll see the black rhino just ahead on the left. These guys, and there's another one uh, off to this side, and their friends, the vultures. We're very excited about these animals. We've also had a successful breeding program with two of these animals having been born uh, here, and black rhinos are one of the most uh, endangered species in the world, with only a few thousand of them left in Africa. Obviously they've been hunted for their horn um, throughout and um, we've been very excited to be able to have them reproduce here. One of the challenges that occurs in a habitat like this that's not what would you call your standard zoo habitat is you build lush environments that the animals love and then it's difficult for people to see them. And the lushness that we've built into here was actually a challenge for us. The, the whole concept of the park, when it was first opened from a creative perspective, was that people would be, it would be a discovery journey. And people would be looking and occasionally they'd see an animal and that'd be very exciting. But you know that guest behavior is, I just want to see them. So it's, it's, a, it's sort of a juxtaposition of, of the creative concept and what the guests really, really want to see. So over on our left, we have the uh, greater kudu, which is also another sort of forest and savanna edge species. In the background we have yellow-billed storks who look like they're putting a nest and in, in the foreground the saddle-billed stork. Now you're going to feel some bumps and as we go across these bumps this is, means we're going in a transition area. What's there is a, what's called a cattle guard. Heavily used in Texas that essentially keeps animals with bumps from crossing across, across a barrier. So we've exited an animal area into a non- uh, animal area. So that those bumps are, are key indicators that you're moving from one place to another. But we're going to move into an area where we have contained species that don't have access to the ride path. And these are our hippos. On the right, we've got our, our male hippos. We've actually have, we have 16 hippos here at Animal Kingdom, the largest herd of hippos anywhere in North America. And we've had 13 births over time. And then we discovered that that was probably enough our population and we learned that if you put all the boys on one side over here and all the girls on one side over there very scientifically we determined this you don't have more babies so it's one of the great scientific discoveries of animal kingdoms that you move to. here's our our pod of females we have nine females uh, in this group and really interesting is we have the pinkback pelicans and some cormorants who are nesting on these areas the pinkback pelicans we actually had in three different areas so far in Animal Kingdom over the nine years that we've had them. We had them in an elephant pool, and then we had them in the rhino pool, but it wasn't until we moved them about a year and a half to two years ago into this area that they started reproducing. And now we've had great success uh, with that species uh, reproducing, and I think we've got six chicks and more eggs so far. Seven chicks so far, so we're really excited about that success story. On the left, once again, the one place where people think these are all animatronic, but not so much, 
These are the real deal. These are Nile crocodiles. Uh, we have 27 males in this group. And interestingly enough, uh, they were FedExed overnight from a crocodile farm in South Africa. That's how we received them. They deliver anywhere, anytime. FedEx was a great partner when we opened up Animal Kingdom and did most of our animal transport for us. These guys came in individual boxes. They were about six feet long, maybe 100, 150 pounds. Now we have some 11, 12, 13 footers who weigh over 400 pounds. So they've done quite a bit of growing in the time that we've been here. So we're now going to cross over another set of bumps, which will be joining another animal area. This is what's called our West Savannah. This is our large uh, safari area where many of the hoofstock animals that you would expect to see in Africa uh, will be seen. We hopefully will see some giraffes, some wildebeest, uh, even some Ancola cattle. There's the bump, and that's what keeps the animals from going outside of this uh, contained habitat. Now at night, we actually have gates that we close off, and then all the animals are actually called in by auditory cue. Like you saw the elephants being cued to do what they do, we have a specific sound each species. When that, that sound comes, those animals know it's time to move back into their night habitat. So they actually will begin their shift at the end of the day. They also read behaviorally. When the vehicles stop running, they go, oh, it's time to go home. And they head, they head back to their night houses. They learn very quickly. And then they're reinforced in that by the food that they get, which is different than they get when they're out here on the savannah. So this area of the savannah is one we call the tree save area. Every other plant that you will see at Disney's Animal King was planted. These trees are part of the original landscape of Animal Kingdom and the only ones that exist from the original uh, park land. Now, all around this area, you notice that you do not see anything that makes you think you're at, at some theme park in Central Florida. The design of this was purposefully so that we would represent Africa as it is today. So we have actually an 18-foot berm which hides all of our back-of-house uh, holding facilities that the animals will then have areas that they shift through so that we, you can't see the building, but they know where they're going. So, for example, the giraffe barn, which is very tall, sits right behind this berm on the side. And the plantings are all very uh, strategically placed to make sure that the experience out here is not broken for anybody who's out here on the savannah. As you can see, it's a nice sunny day, but it's a little cool, so almost all the animals are sitting out on the savannah where they're in the sun. On a really, really hot day, they'd be seeking the shade of some of these, uh, some of these areas. Now this is great. We're actually going to pull off to the side up ahead a little ways and just uh, take a few moments to kind of look at the species we have out here on the savannah. All of these are open grass, uh, open area uh, species. Very good question. Is there an effort um, to keep them congregating in any one particular area? The answer is actually no. We do feed browse in specific areas to stimulate movement, but anytime you come on the safari, the animals will be doing what the animals do in general. We do have a few feeding places we'll, that'll attract them, but throughout the day we'll only feed those, uh, refurbish those a couple of times. Yeah, if we can just pull off to the left up here, just off the side of the road, we'll get a chance to look out. So some of the species are all uh, sort of sharing this short grass area. Uh, you can see the wildebeest to the far right. 
Then the largest uh, species of antelope is the eland. In amongst the eland are those small species which are Thompson's gazelles. To the left of the zebra, which is also mixed in there, are some impala, which are the larger sort of um, cinnamon-colored animals. And then closest to us are actually a domestic species, the Ancoli cattle. And those are those huge cattle with the very large, this is great, right here, very large horns. We added those to our collection after we opened the park because we wanted to represent the competition that occurs between the domestic species and wildlife throughout Africa where herding and the pastoral life competes with wildlife for resources like food. And then we have our giraffe. You can see there, there, this is actually the pathway that goes back to the giraffe holding barn. And these are our male and one of our females. Um, we have another female who's back in the back now because she's just about ready to have a baby. And we like to keep them back in the area until they have the baby and the baby's up and, and moving around well before we reintroduce them out uh, to the savannah. These guys are just catching some uh, midday sun, which is very pleasant for them. And they've also put themselves in an area where they've got a little bit of, of break from any cooler wind. So they utilize the space here quite well. And what we do, try to develop in this program is all the opportunities that they would have in the wild to manage themselves from a temperature perspective, keeping out of the wind, getting into the wind, what, into the sun, whatever they need to do. You can actually pull ahead if you want. There's... Yeah. Any questions? Yes. Do the animals, do they adapt well to the climate changes that we have here in Florida? Yeah, the question is, do the animals adapt well to our climate changes in Florida? One of the ideal aspects of having African elephants in here, or elephants, Elephants is always on my mind. African animals here is that our climate is very similar to East Africa. Where at night in East Africa it can get down to very cool temperatures, near freezing even, and during the daytime it can get up to well over 100 degrees. So this is actually a, a, a perfect climate for these guys, and there's very few um, challenges that we have from a temperature perspective. Um, most of these animals, in fact, there's not been a day since we opened where we didn't have these animals out on show. And it's really been no problem for them. I mean, I've been in Florida about 11 years, and I think in Orlando we've maybe had 15 total hours below freezing in that time frame. We just, it's a really good climate for them, so this is a great adaptation. You can pull ahead whenever you're ready. So we're about to cross, again, across one of our, another one of our barriers which means we're going into a non-animal management area, but we will have animals in containment on both sides. On the right-hand side is part of our extended elephant habitat. On the left will be mangrove baboons. Now you may wonder, what are these uh, pieces up here that are blocking, it looks like they're blocking some area. Each of these is up temporarily as we're introducing some new animals to the savannas. We have some new baby, um, Thompson's gazelles and some new baby sable antelope that are being introduced to the savannah for the first time. So anywhere where there's a potential for an animal to go over a moated area, we'll put those up until they're used to that space. So, um, I thought I saw it. Yeah, there's an elephant over here. Looks like we've got uh, Big Willie. This is Willie, our largest male um, African elephant. 
He's in our west yard here. Willie's actually 13,000 pounds and almost 11 feet tall at the shoulder. It's a little chilly today, so our mandrel baboons, which would be on our left-hand side, are sort of hiding out, not real evident in, in their space. Now in the morning, Willie has just about a half mile trek to go from the building out to this habitat and he'll be out here until dusk tonight when we clear the rest of the habitats and then he marches all the way back into the barn. You may wonder, do we, is it a big challenge to get any of these animals back in at night? We have more than a 95% success rate in having the animals come in. We don't go out and herd them in. We, we base it on our behavioral management. And we really have uh, a great deal of success in, in getting them back in. Now one of the important aspects of what we need to do in our savannas is keep them healthy. So every night our horticulture team comes out. They actually have to get on the savanna, so that's why we make sure the wildebeest and the zebras are in their night holding. Also, during hurricanes, it's really critical that we have safe places for all our animals. So the same places that our animals go every night is their hurricane ride-out space. So it's nothing new for them. Hurricane comes, we just bring them in like we do any other night, but we have ride-out crews of keepers and managers that actually stay in those, elephant, or those animal areas and they um, are managed. Now this bridge we're going under is actually the bridge that Willie the elephant has to go over every night to get back to his barn. We have a gate at each end, and uh, it was really interesting when we first opened the park, we weren't sure the elephants would want to cross that bridge at all. And when they came across it, they actually stood and watched the vehicles go under it. They thought it was really neat. They'd go, look at one side, then they'd run to the other side. Wow, did you see that? That truck went underneath there. So it turned out to be no problem whatsoever. And on our left now is our what we call sort of our family yard. And as we uh, we'll go across another barrier, and then we'll, you may, we'll pull off to the side. You may want to stand up to look over the burlap. But our family group is out here. There should be six animals, two um, mothers and their three and two-year-old calves. And then I think this may be our little boy elephant right over here. Nope, that's mom. That's Donna. She's um, our, our newest mom. So we're going to feel the bump, which means we've once again re-entered an animal containment area. We're going to pull off to the right-hand side and just kind of see if we can see uh, our herd here. One of the things that I've always uh, really enjoyed about our facility is you can have six elephants in our facility and still have trouble seeing them. So it's kind of a, you know, in some ways it's a little tough for our guests, but in other ways it's really neat to know that we can actually lose elephants in our habitat and they feel good. So in the background, you can feel free to stand up. We'll be here for a couple of minutes. Some of our elephant herd. The big female that you see there is Rafiki. She is our uh, sort of our matriarch and leader of this family group. She's the oldest female in the group, but she is non-reproductive. For whatever reason, she's never cycled and um, never uh, bred. But behind her is our little male. I think that's our little boy. Actually, I can't see who that is right now. Bus is coming. Is that too funny or is that Kianga? The kids are growing so much I can't tell them apart. can't tell who that is. Is it too funny? I think that's our little five-year-old boy. And there's two other adult female, no, uh, 
one other adult female and two other calves out there hiding somewhere. So what you see in this habitat is a mixture of opportunities for the elephants. Right in front of us is really a mud wallow. That's a, a shallow pool, but it's filled with mud and dirt. That's one of their one of their favorite areas. Okay, in the background, another calf just came walking up. I think those are our two little girls. Yeah, there comes Mama Vasha. Now Vasha is the mother of the farthest calf, Kianga, and then Nadira, who's second, is a, her mother is the elephant that's closest to us. And the little boy is, he's hiding out somewhere doing his own thing. We're really excited about this group forming into a herd because all these elephants came from other institutions originally and were put together in hopes that they would form a family group and reproduce. It was great to watch this group's change over time because none of them had had offspring before they came to Animal Kingdom. Ten minutes? Okay. Once they started having their babies, it was great to watch them change their behavior and become maternal. They really started to understand what it was like to be mothers, and their focus came from went from being, I'm just an elephant in this group of elephants, to I have a purpose in life, I'm raising this calf, and as a member of this social group, we all have a responsibility to look after the calves. All of the females look after all of the calves. It was very interesting because one of our females, um, Vasha, actually nurses both of the younger calves. Whenever, first thing, as soon as Kianga comes out and sees her in the morning, she runs up and nurses on her. That's very unusual. Usually mothers don't allow other calves to nurse with them, but it's just uh, uh, something that she's, she's taken on and um, seems to do quite well with. You can see these guys are just hanging out. We actually provide about 800 pounds of fresh cut grasses, tree limbs every morning. Most of it is grown right here on Disney's Animal Kingdom. We have actually have a, a tree farm just north of us where we've planted about 90 acres where we grow fresh food for our, our uh, animals every day. And about 800 pounds of that is spread out through the habitat each day. So they spend the day foraging just like they would in the wild. And that's been one of our goals. You saw the one side, which is the daily management that, yeah, go forward, that we do. We want to make sure these animals are well cared for so they need to participate in their daily care. But secondarily, we also want them to be elephants. So when they're out here, they are doing what elephants do and they're in the social structure um, that is normal for them. And they seem to have done just really, really well here. As we move, move forward, you'll see other aspects of the habitat. Obviously, you have quite a bit of shade built into it. This is a large pool. It goes to 12 feet deep. And in the warm weather, particularly if you get a nice rain, uh, they'll all be in here playing and swimming. <coughs> One of the other things that we're excited about is we're actually able to maintain grass in our elephant facility, which is pretty rare. Um, they do quite a bit of damage to the, to the ground, but in the background, actually, you can see one of our other bulls. That's actually Bulwagi and his girlfriend, uh, um, Tumpy, who's over on the, on the left. They've been newly introduced um, here to Animal Kingdom. Uh, Bulwagi, they're both born in zoos in North America, and Bulwagi came about two years ago, and uh, Tumpy just came in November. 
this is our flamingo uh, habitat here. We've been very successful. All of the animals you see that don't have any pink on them are this year's uh, offspring. I think we have nine or ten uh, new hatchings this year. Okay, another set of bumps. We're crossing into a different management area. This is what we call the East Savannah. So we have a different group of species over here. We have our scimitar horned oryx, which are uh, on the left-hand side. They're actually a species that has is extinct in the wild today, and we're a participant in a reintroduction program. We have some animals that have gone from our facility to other facilities to breed, and their offspring would then hopefully be reintroduced. Matt's actually been involved in a program in North Africa working for the reintroduction of this species through the uh, Sahara Sahel uh, Conservation Group. We also have Bontebuck and Blesbach, which are also sort of dry area, uh, dry habitat species. And they're going to run across the road. Why do they cross the road? Yeah, they cross the road to get to the other side. Animals have right of way here. It's kind of interesting because people ask the question, well, isn't this difficult for the animals? As you can see, there's very limited concern by the animals for the vehicles. Uh, most of these animals have seen the over 2 million vehicle trips through our savannas. And uh, the vehicles are just uh, another aspect of life on the savannah, not a problem for them, no issue whatsoever. Oh, we have some rhino over here. This is uh, one of our male rhinos. He's up grazing on the cheetah berm. Um, the rhinos, these guys actually have free access to the ride path. There's actually some cheetahs just in the distance. They look almost the same color in the shade on, the, on that ridge as, as the ground. They're just past that sunspot on that far ridge. There's two of them laying with their back to us, their heads sticking up. Anybody get a, can, can you actually see the cheetahs? Okay, they're just laying there. That's what that's what cats do. Twenty hours a day, rest, take it easy. Yeah. Well, you saw the rest of the family group today in the rhino barn, and this is just one of our males, and it's his rotation out uh, onto the savanna. He's enjoying himself, helping uh, keep our horticulture folks uh, in business. Okay, great. Ahead. Now, as we go up over this rise, on the left is our lion habitat. I can just see on the top ridge the cinnamon color of the lions doing, once again, what big cats do sleep most of the time, just laying up there, catching the rays, and enjoying life. One of our female lions is actually not supposed to be able to do that. She climbs all the way up to the very top of that rock and just sits looking out over the savannah. It wasn't designed for that, but um, she's figured out how to do it. We actually rotate two pair of lions out to the habitat. Uh, sometimes they rotate on a daily basis. Another pair will go out in the morning, another pair in the afternoon. Other days it's a day-to-day -day, uh, rotation.
Over in the distance, you can see some of our ostrich. They uh, they frequently uh, sit in the ride path and slow down our, our vehicles on a regular basis. They seem to have we have to the keepers actually uh, are out here in vehicles in case those kinds of things happen because the ride vehicles are are not allowed to do anything but stop and wait for the animals to move. So the keepers can come out and they can help manage the elephant or the animals off the ride path. The elephants hopefully are never on the ride path. If they are, then we got bigger problems than we would have imagined. On the left, we see Pumbaa, our two warthogs, three warthogs. They're out just doing what warthogs do best, which is destroy habitat and graze. It's their favorite thing to do. Once again, the horticulturalist's best friends. It's a lifetime uh, job being a horticulturist here at the Disney's Animal Kingdom. See the two ostrich in the background over on that side. Well, it is a nest. Our ostrich, we have all female ostrich. They continue to lay eggs. Um, we do have some, they do nest on those and we collect the real eggs, but we also found that the rhinos were kicking the real eggs around and breaking them on a regular basis. So we have put some um, artificial eggs out there so that we know the ostrich will continue to lay their real eggs on top of that nest so that we can go out and bring them in and not get them smashed. Now they're not fertile eggs uh, at all. But. So that last lovely series of bumps means we've exited the animal area completely and we're now on the, the uh, what we call the finale. And most of you have been on this ride before so you know that the theme of the ride is about poaching. And at the end of the ride we actually help corral poachers who are, are running loose in the park and threatening the species. So it's part of the backstory conservation uh, of conservation that we have for all of our our exhibits. Because really, one of the, the important aspects of Animal Kingdom is that one, you have a great time, but two, that we help connect you with with wildlife and wild places, and help gain appreciation for the wealth and diversity of wildlife, but also an understanding of some of the challenges that exist today in our world and what some of the things that we can do to help wildlife. And one of the great things that we um, allow and encourage people to do here in Animal Kingdom, you're going to learn more about later on, is contribute to the Disney Wildlife Conservation Fund. Only animatronic animal, I promise, that you'll see in, in, uh, on the safari. But anybody who goes to one of our merchandise shops has an opportunity to add a dollar for conservation. And those dollars added up to about $1.5 million that we donated to conservation projects around the world last year, over 11 million since we opened up the park. So it's a great opportunity for guests to, to really be able to do something directly uh, to support conservation. We are in the process of reviewing all the conservation uh, proposals and research proposals, and uh, in April we'll sit down and meet and determine where all the, the money will go in this next year uh, from our conservation dollars. And every cent of that money goes directly to conservation. All of the administrative is paid for out of our, our company operating budget. So every penny that our guests donate goes directly to conservation. So we're really proud of what we're able to do with that over time. So we're at the end of our safari. Thanks very much, guys.
If you've never visited Walt Disney World during Epcot's International Flower and Garden Festival, stop what you're doing, put down your iPod, tell your boss you're leaving, pick up the rest of your family, and head to Walt Disney World before June 1st because you are missing something truly memorable and spectacular. This year, once again, Epcot is filled with colorful flowers, lush gardens, Disney character topiaries, gardening demonstrations, speakers, music, and so much more as the festival celebrates its 15th year until June 1st. I am actually coming to you live from this year's festival, and I can tell you that it is bigger and better than ever, and this year's theme is Fun in the Sun, and that is evident from the moment you step through the gates in Future World, where you're greeted by a scene inspired by the 1937 film Hawaiian Holiday, where you encounter a 14-foot-tall topiary of Goofy catching a wave, as well as Mickey and Minnie lounging on a beach, surrounded by beach balls and life preservers, all made from plants and flowers, of course. Beyond Interventions Plaza, you're going to find Stitch keeping watch from atop his lifeguard stand, and throughout World Showcase, there are dozens more topiaries of characters, including Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs near Germany, the Three Caballeros near Mexico, and more than 30 others. One of my personal favorites is the Peter Pan Neverland Garden, that's along the Imagination Walkway, which has a spectacular Captain Hook and TikTok Croc that's right next to the children's play area. And if you ever wondered how those topiaries are created, well, they're actually thanks to the combined efforts of cast members from a number of different disciplines, and each takes more than a month to complete. They actually start out as models created by Walt Disney Imagineering. Now, they ensure that the characters are portrayed correctly, and they also monitor the progress of the topiary throughout the various stages to ensure character integrity in the final version. Then welders create the frames, which are much, much smaller than the finished product, to allow for plant growth, before the nursery cast members install an internal irrigation system. Now that means that they get watered from the inside out, which saves both labor and water costs, as cast members don't have to walk around and hand water each figure. Then, the horticultural cast members fill the frames with sphagnum moss, which is sort of a, a dried moss that acts like soil. They poke holes into the moss, and they insert plant plugs, including begonias, coleus, creeping figs, and about 20 others, in order to achieve the desired look. Now, the use of all these different types of plants and flowers is actually a very big change from some of the early years of topiary, when I'm sure you remember they were always all green. Now, horticultural cast members can paint details onto dried plant materials to create faces, eyes, and even expressions onto the characters. And if you walk around the festival, you can definitely see some examples of that throughout both World Showcase and Future World. And actually, one of my personal favorite topiary exhibits this year and a good example of the use of this uh, technique is over in China, where they have the Chinese zodiac topiaries, where you can not only learn about the Chinese zodiac animals, but you can find your own year and see it presented in topiary form. They have the dragon, the rat, the pig, the monkey, all the different zodiac symbols. They're actually beautiful and gives you a chance to sort of walk around and wander through the Chinese pavilion. Now, in addition to just the topiaries, there's a lot of new offerings this year that I noticed and really enjoyed, including the Green Garden. That's over in Interventions East. That shows you how you can create an environmentally friendly garden on your own without a lot of input and, more importantly, not a lot of time. Uh, another personal favorite of mine was the English Tea Garden over in the UK. That not only teaches you the history and really the art of blending tea, but it also displays the various tea plants in sort of these larger-than-life teacups. There's also a free 20-minute guided tour at the Tea Caddy Shop every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at 2.30, 3.30, and 5 o'clock p.m. Over at the American Adventure, the Kitchen Garden shows you how you can create a wonderful garden with herbs and plants, even if you don't have much space or even a backyard at all. 
If you're facing the pavilion, it's over off to the right-hand side, right near the exit to the shop. Uh, in France, the fragrance garden is amazing, and you can really take your time and close your eyes and enjoy the amazing scents from the gardens and really see the relationships between the plants and the fragrances and the perfumes that are created from them. Here as well, there's also a free tour that leaves at 2, 4, and 6 p.m. daily from the Guerlain shop. I really wandered through this pavilion as I never had done before, really sort of taking the time to savor all the different plants and flowers. Uh, the, the topiaries are shaped like perfume bottles, very intricately done. Uh, there's also little interactive stations where you can lift a board and smell a Guerlain fragrance and then see and smell the plants that are used to create it. And it's actually really quite fascinating. Uh, another one that I really always enjoy is the Bonsai Collection. That's over in Japan. Here, you can once again stroll through the gardens as well as along the shores of the World Showcase Lagoon. Right near the Tory Gate, you can learn about the amazing dwarf trees, many of which are decades old. It's very serene. And again, I once I found myself kind of uh, spending a great deal of time just wandering the pavilion and the promenade. This is not just for adults, I should be clear. There's a lot of stuff here uh, for kids to do as well. And I actually took my kids with me on this trip, and they really had a great time. One of my favorites in theirs as well was Minnie's Magnificent Butterfly Garden. That's on the walkway to Test Track. Inside, there are literally hundreds of these free-flying butterflies that often will land on you or land on your kids. And to see the faces of the kids inside, and that's kids of every age, was really wonderful. And something else that's notable about this exhibit is that it's sponsored by Claritin. And if you are an allergy sufferer or you know somebody that is, my wife and I both are, you should really take some time walking the path to the garden to learn some more about the myths and the facts about uh, seasonal and other kinds of allergies. I actually learned a great deal along the way. And it's also a great place to check out what one of my favorite little quote unquote hidden details in Future World is. And that's the flower beds that are arranged as nautical flags located near the Odyssey building. You can kind of see it from the backside as you're walking along this path. The flags represent the letters Alpha, Bravo, etc. And they actually spell out a message that can be decoded by guests. Uh, so it's kind of gives you a little challenge to do there as well. But again, I was talking about things for kids to do. And of course, there's Kid Cop fun stops throughout Future World and World Showcase. But there's a lot more as well. Uh, one that I really particularly enjoyed and so did my kids was over in Germany. Now, not only can they just enjoy the miniature train exhibit, which is back, by the way, but the Ladybug release, which is at 1 and 3 p.m. And that is really sort of demonstrates just one of the ways that Disney controls pets. And it's kind of interesting uh, as an adult to, to learn more about this. It's what Disney calls their good bug, bad bug pest management system. And here, the horticultural cast members, really in an effort to stay away from harmful pesticides and chemicals, they use a system whereby certain bugs that pollinate plants and contribute to the decay of organic matter and attack insects uh, are, are sort of clarified as quote-unquote good bugs, like our friend the ladybug. And the bad bug, and those are ones that are harmful to the environment, are treated by one of these eight different good bugs, which naturally eliminate the source of the landscape's decay. So, for example, our little friend the ladybug actually eats up to 5,000 bad bugs in its lifetime. So it's thanks to programs like this that make you not see Disney walking around or flying around spraying pesticides throughout the year. Uh, it's a great learning experience both for kids and adults, as well as in the Growing Future Gardeners exhibit right next to, to Germany. Again, my kids, who are almost three and five respectively, really enjoyed um, seeing both of those things. And again, this is just a very small sampling of what the Flower and Garden Festival has to offer. But there's also uh, themed weekends that are coming in the next few weeks. They include Art in the Garden from April 4th to the 6th, the Green Exhibit from the 18th through the 20th, 
which is going to show you how to reduce waste in your home and community. That's actually something I'd like to get down there and go see. I Dig Bugs from the 25th through the 27th. May 2nd through the 4th is the Florida Farmer's Market. And May 11th, of course, is the famous Mother's Day brunch. There's plenty more, like I said, to do. There's speakers. There's tours of the gardens. There's the very popular Flower Power concert series over at the American Gardens Theater. That's also included with the price of admission to the park. Uh, you should also go when you head on over and stop by over at Garden Town. That's in the old Wonders of Life Pavilion. That's uh, where you'll find more information, some displays, demonstrations, exclusive shopping for uh, themed merchandise, and a lot more. And speaking of shopping, one thing I forgot to mention, too, is that the Promenade in World Showcase is filled with a variety of different booths and vendors selling wonderful merchandise that you can only get during this time of year. Uh, there's really so much to see and so much to do here at the 15th Annual Epcot Flower and Garden Festival. In fact, I'm going to go and explore some more, grab some lunch, enjoy some of the Promenade performers, and, and uh, kind of see if I can earn my green thumb. But if you want to learn more, you can call 407-W-Disney, or you can go and visit DisneyWorld.com flower. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. A special thanks to the Walt Disney World Company and all of the cast members who took the time to meet and speak with me this past week, including Carrie Schoen from the Disney Dream Squad and John Lenhart, Director of Animal Operations for Disney's Animal Kingdom. As I said at the beginning of this week's show, over the next few weeks, I'll have more from Disney's Animal Kingdom as we prepare for the 10th anniversary celebration on Earth Day, April 22nd. I'll once again be back in Disney's Animal Kingdom for the event, as well as the Wild Decade Gathering, and we'll have coverage for you from both of these events. Next week, I'll once again cover the latest Walt Disney World news and visit the Walt Disney World rumor mill, as well as answer more of your listener emails. And if you want to be a part of the show and get on the air, the easiest way is to simply call into the WDW Radio Show voicemail hotline at 206-202-4WDW with your questions, comments, topic suggestions, reviews, reports, or if you just want to say hello from the parks. You can also email me at lou at wdwradio.com to have your questions answered on the show. Please come by our show notes page each week at wdwradio.com where I'll post additional information, photos, and links to the topics I cover on the show each week. There you're also going to find links to the WDW Radio Show forums at disneyworldtrivia.com where you can log in and discuss anything you heard on the show. You'll also find links to some of my recommended products and services, including many valuable trip planning resources such as OrlandoFunTickets.com, where you can get the best price, and more importantly, the best service on authorized and official discounted Walt Disney World theme park tickets. Now, having just returned from Walt Disney World, I once again used and enjoyed my owner's locker, where I store everything from toiletries to ponchos, snacks to shampoos, and so much more. And if you find yourself lugging the same items to Walt Disney World in your suitcase over and over again, or you're running out to pick up things that you just may have forgotten at home, you may not know how or why you could use it, but trust me that once you try your own personal owner's locker, you'll wonder how you ever vacationed without it. Visit ownerslocker.com and discover all the uses you may never have thought of for your own personal secure storage locker that's delivered to and from your resort. Also be sure and check out the new issue of Orlando Attractions Magazine, over at attractionsmagazine.com. It includes all the latest information about all the local Orlando theme parks, and in this issue, there's a photo feature on Aquatica, more about the Spaceship Earth refurbishment, 
a resort report on Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge, the top pools in Orlando, and more. I also wanted to remind you that the first audio guide to Walt Disney World is available as either a CD or instantly downloadable MP3 file complete with all artwork at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. The first CD is Main Street USA. I'm working now on the second, which was going to be Adventureland, and I'll have a release date announcement for that soon. Also on the site, be sure to check out all the new features, including news, articles, my blog, an expanded trivia section, as well as the happiest forums on Earth. And finally, if you are a fan of the show and you want to show it, get your official www.radio.com t-shirts and sweatshirts from the link on the site as well. And as always, if you like the show, please review us in iTunes, and more importantly, please help spread the word and let others know about it. Have a great week, and thanks for tuning in again. See ya. Hey, Lou. Uh, this is Jeff Roney calling. And uh, listen to your show about your review of Disneyland. And uh, just, I-, I was shocked. I mean, you- you've been to Disneyland before, but it seems like you didn't realize what a great park it is. So uh, <clears throat> I've compiled a little list to, to kind of add to what you were saying about what I love about Disneyland. Okay? So here we go. Number one. A Target is right down the street and not a 30-hour drive off property uh, to buy, like, shoes that don't cost a a whole lot. Uh, Number two, uh, DCA is actually changing. Now, I was one of the few people that thought DCA was kind of a silly idea in, I mean, California Adventure in California. But anyway, it's changing, so that's good. Number three, uh, any tram ride is short. Uh, not long enough to balance your checkbook, uh, plan a wedding, and sort out every conspiracy theory there is. Uh, number four, uh, why I, I think Disneyland is better than uh, Walt Disney World. Uh, I can saunter from one park to the other. Lou, uh, I love to saunter. Uh, I, I, I don't want to have to walk, uh, catch a bus, uh, uh, a small plane, uh, monorail, um, uh, hitchhike to get from one park to another. I like to saunter. I like to saunter from Disneyland to uh, DCA. Number five, uh, it's less than 10 miles from my house in California. That's why I love Disneyland instead of uh, Walt Disney World. But anyway, uh, glad you're kind of realizing what a great uh, park it is. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll bump into each other next time uh, you come. And uh, I'll show you the uh, turkey legs and the churros. So anyway, talk to you later. See you. Bye. Hey Lou, this is John Beal from Zionsville, Indiana, and I just came back from a trip to, to Walt Disney World with my show choir for one of the competitions they had there, and on Friday, we were at Magic Kingdom, and we Splash Mountain was open again after its refurbishment, and I went on it, and it, you know, it had that extra third little boat loading queue, and while the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad had like a 60-minute wait, you could go right on and you could just walk right on Splash Mountain. It was very efficient and it was it was a good. They they managed to uh, have no wait, and I know a lot of people rode that ride, so they just that renovate that refurbishment that they had with the and added the third little boat loading um, area would uh, proved to be very efficient. So it was good. It just walked right on the ride. So, anyway, see ya. Bye.